All right, good morning. Would you all turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 8? I'll read the first nine verses. I'd like to give you all a minute to get there. You know, I, I would. I just want to reiterate that encouragement. You know, if you are you are visiting here or you look around and you, you see people you don't know or you don't feel connected, join in. Don't let that be an awkward conversation. We stress unity. This meal is a great opportunity opportunity for us to just be unified and experience that. We want to be able to serve you and get to know you and uh, and develop those friendships with you. And so it's good to see all these faces and, and it's especially good to eat after the service. My Sunday school class was in the room, so I was just wafting through. Um, so 2 Corinthians chapter 8, I'll read the first nine verses. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urged Titus that as he has started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sake He became poor, so that you by His poverty might become rich. Would you bow your heads with me this morning as we open in a word of prayer? Heavenly Father, we, we open this service the way that we begin them all, Lord. And that's with a humble awareness of all that it is You've accomplished on our behalf. All that it is that You've sacrificed. Lord, Your, your, your privileges, Your, your wealth, Your, your uh, glory, all for our sakes this morning. Father, we ask first as we, come, as we come into this time of worship that You would soften the hearts to this message that everyone here, if there be anyone who doesn't know You in this way, that they would come to understand what God through Christ has done on their behalf if only they should believe. Lord, this gift, even as we approach this Christmas season, Lord, that we would, that we would humble ourselves and come to understand who we are at the feet of the throne. Lord, I pray that we would, we would submit to this as well. As we read this passage of Paul holding the church of Corinth accountable, 
to give in this Christ-like way. Lord, as we approach this, this time of the year when people readily give, Lord, that we can, as Union Baptists, take on a new identity of giving. Lord, that we can become poor to further the kingdom of God. Lord, that we can give of ourselves and become like our Savior in this way. Lord, that you would bless us with this opportunity to spread the provision that you've given to us. Lord, that we would give to you, that, they would, that we would give to this church, that we would give to our neighbors. Lord, that we would give not just of our money, that we would give of our time, that we would give of, of our prayer life. Lord, that, that we would give of, of, of food and clothing and, and love, Father, that in every way, in the very way that you've blessed us, Father, that you would bring us into a unity in this way. Lord, that we would be a giving church, a loving church, one that, that, that shines forth the picture of Christ in our very own lives. We ask that you be with us through the remainder of this service, that we experience your presence, that you would change us, move among this congregation to soften the hearts of the unbeliever, to encourage the, the hearts of those that are anxious, and Lord, to equip the hearts of the saints for the ministry that you've appointed each one of us to. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's have our ushers come forward this time for our offering. As they're coming, I'll just remind you quickly about our special offering that we have going on all throughout the month of December. It's the Lottie Moon Christmas offering, uh, and that does go directly to the International Mission Board, which uh, sends missionaries all over the world to spread the, the good news of Jesus Christ. And we have a responsibility in, in that, and so I know that you all will give generously. We've set a goal of $2,000. For this year and I believe that we will succeed that by God's grace so consider what the Lord would lead you to give to that let's pray our Heavenly Father we come to you this morning and we are grateful that you sent your son to be born who is the the king uh, of Israel he is the Messiah the Savior of the world and we we thank you that in your grace you you broadened that plan you you included us uh, as your people in that. We thank you for the redemption that we have through Jesus Christ. We thank you that as Jesus grew, he, he lived perfectly. We thank you that you then gave him to die on the cross for our sins and that you then raised him for our justification. We praise you for the work of Christ and all that he's done as we celebrate this year. Help us focus, Lord, not on materialism and not on myth, uh, but on the truth of of Christmas on, on Christ. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Good morning. Take your Bibles this morning and turn to Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to continue our series this morning through the book of Ephesians. We're in Ephesians chapter 4. And uh, in this section of the book of Ephesians, we're, we're seeing uh, the change process of, of the Christian life. And we're just recalling the fact that when God saves us, uh, he, it doesn't end with us simply receiving the forgiveness of our sins. We know that that's absolutely true. Uh, but that God's got a plan in our lives and that plan involves us growing and maturing in our faith. And it really involves us becoming more and more like Jesus Christ. Everyone who's a true believer, everyone who's been born again, Christ lives within you. You have died to your old self 
and you are in the process of becoming a new you, a new and better you, a you that reflects the image of Jesus Christ in your life. So we've seen in verse 23 and 24 uh, that we are to put off the old self. We are to lay aside, like we take off a jacket or take off our clothes, we are to lay aside our old sinful self and we are then in the Christian life to be putting on Jesus Christ. We've seen that this is a once for all kind of thing that when you're born again, you die to your old self and you, you are clothed with Jesus Christ in one sense. But in another sense, it's an ongoing process with something that we're growing in. So it's something every day that we should be participating in. And as we grow, we ought to see marks and evidence of that in, in our lives. We've looked at some of the ways that we, uh, should be growing some of the ways that we ought to be putting off sin in our life. We talked about uh, lying or speaking falsehood and how we are to put that off and we're to speak every man the truth with his neighbor. Last week, Jared did an excellent job of walking us through anger, how we're supposed to lay aside the anger and the wrath that we have and how we are to put on love and forgiveness and, and kindness. This morning, we're going to look at verse number 28. And this is what it says, Ephesians 4.28. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. There again, you see both sides of this process. The thief is to steal no longer. That's what we are to put off. That's the kind of behavior that we are supposed to lay aside, but it doesn't end there. It's not as if it's okay if we just stop stealing or stop profiting from from the labors of others uh, or stop practicing greed, and and then we just do that and we're good. But no, there's, there's positive that we are to do. And that positive is that we are to work diligently. We are to work hard and labor with our own hands so that we might have something to give, so that we can be generous. This morning as we begin, I just want us to think deeply, uh, a little more deeply perhaps than we might be accustomed to thinking, about uh, this command to, to steal no more. Let the thief or the one who steals steal no more. Now we, we think of that command, that's one of the com- one of the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not steal. And at first brush we might we might think that uh, we're doing okay in, in that regard, that we really don't struggle uh, with stealing. And so that's one we can kind of check off the box and maybe one that we're, we're not doing so poorly at. But like we did, much like we did with the, the sin of lying, I want us just to pause and reflect on that because I think we tend to think just about those overt, obvious cases uh, of stealing. And I think there's some ways that perhaps we are breaking this command without maybe even realizing it. We think about, when we talk about stealing, we think about breaking in to somebody's house and taking something that doesn't belong to us. We think about robbing banks or stealing cars or identity theft. And I dare say that probably nobody here is involved in those kinds of activities. But I want us to see this morning that this command encompasses much more than just those overt cases of stealing. First of all, it, it encompasses any kind of dishonest gain. Anytime we seek to profit dishonestly from the labors of others or to, or seek to get something for nothing. It also encompasses, secondly, the sinful attitudes of our heart. 
that break the spirit of this command. Those things include greed and covetousness. And we're going to look at that here in, in just a minute. I want us just to see, first of all, that this is an identity issue. He says here, let the thief steal no more. Uh, literally, it's let the one who steals or let the stealer steal no more. I've been looking my whole life uh, for a verse that would speak out against being a Steelers fan. And I think I finally found it here. Let the stealer steal no more. Uh, but upon more study a little bit deeper, I, I don't think that's quite what it, it is meaning there. But we do see the identity there. This is who you were. You, you know, sometimes we like to just keep it. Well, you know, maybe I've stolen. Maybe I've taken something, but I'm not a thief. Maybe I've lied, but I'm not a liar. Uh, but but the way the Bible deals with that is to say, if that's what you've done, that's who you are. That's your identity. And so he's speaking to us. Lay aside that old identity. Let the thief steal no more. You see, sin isn't just an aberration. It is who we are. Let's consider some of the maybe foundational principles regarding theft. You know, sometimes we like to make excuses to, to kind of say why what we're doing really isn't that bad after all. Let me just kind of touch on a few of those this morning, some foundational principles to help us understand that perhaps some of the things that we're doing really do fall into this category. First of all, it doesn't matter uh, it doesn't have to be, let me say this, what you steal doesn't have to be something big, expensive, or important to make it theft. The size, importance, or value of a thing doesn't change the morality of stealing. It doesn't make it right or, or okay. You say, well, it was just small, <clears throat> kind of incidental. It wasn't that big of a deal. Well, that may make it to the point that you're not going to go to jail for taking that. But God's standards are slightly higher than that. It is still theft. The size or value doesn't matter. It doesn't have to be, what you take doesn't have to be owned by an individual person to make it theft. The, th- the fact that the stolen good maybe is owned by a company or an entity rather than an individual doesn't make it any less stealing. It's, it's still stealing. It doesn't have to be regularly used to make it theft. You say, well, it was just sitting there. Nobody's even using it. It's it's just going to waste, so I might as well take it. Well, that doesn't matter if the owner of that property was not using it or maybe would never use it or never realize that it was gone. It's it's still stealing. That's not. I'm going to have to come up with a different phrase there. That doesn't fit together too well. Uh, But it's still theft. Let's say that. It is still theft to take something, even if it's being uh, if it's going unused, <clears throat> it doesn't have to be even something that's tangible, physical property to make it theft. Uh, the fact that it's not tangible, physical property doesn't doesn't make it right. You can steal an idea or a thought or you can take credit for something. We know you can steal digital material as well. All of those things are still theft. None of that mitigates or, or excuses what it really is. It doesn't even matter if it meets a legitimate need. It's still theft. We understand that sometimes people really are in need and and we can understand and it would be hard. Somebody stealing food because they're hungry, it would be hard to say, you know, that that was that was to really come down hard on them in any kind of uh, condemning way. But but it's still theft. It doesn't matter if it's been lost or carelessly left behind. It's still theft. We ought to make every effort if we find something that doesn't belong to us. We ought to make every effort to get that back to the person to whom it belongs or at least hand it over to somebody who who might do that. I know I've I've left stuff before 
And I've been thankful when, when there is someone who says, you know, that wallet doesn't belong to me. I'm going to turn that in. And you can go back and, and, and get it. Those, that's how we ought to be. The fact that somebody has left something or forgotten something doesn't make it any less theft. It doesn't matter how young you are. You know, this is sometimes a, an issue with, with children and, and young people who are particularly tempted to, to this sin. Young people, let me speak to you this morning. The fact that you're underage or, or the things that you may be taking are somewhat insignificant, that doesn't mean that you're not sinning before God. Children, if you take things that don't belong to you, it is still a sin before God. It doesn't matter if it's a pen or a pencil or $5 that your mom left on the counter or the gadget that someone at school dropped on the floor, the toy that belongs to your brother or sister, it is stealing. That's, that's wrong. Let's consider this morning some of the subtleties of theft or stealing. Some ways perhaps that maybe we don't think about that really I think fall into this category. For instance, we're able to steal time at work. Steal time at work. You know, you're supposed to be working. You're on the clock. There's an expectation that you're doing something and you're not doing that. The company's paying you. You're taking the money. You're receiving the benefits of being there and being on the clock, but you're not working. Now, I understand. Don't, don't get me wrong. I understand everybody needs a break. It's not what we're talking about, okay? Because everybody always loves to give, well, what about this? You're taking a break? All right. We, we understand that. Your job doesn't require you to be actively doing something all the time. That's not what we're talking about. The problem is when we neglect to do what we're being paid to do. When we know... The expectation is that I'm doing this job and I'm sitting back here on my phone or I'm hanging out in the break room or I'm trying to avoid the boss so he doesn't see me and he can't find me and ask me to do what I know he wants me to do. Those are all ways that we're stealing uh, from our employer. Beyond that, just doing shoddy work, doing poor work. They're paying you to do a job and you're doing it ineffectively. You've got a careless attitude. I don't really care about this. I don't really care about the company. I'm just going to... I'm going to throw it up there and it doesn't matter if it's going to be good enough to pass the inspection. It doesn't matter if it's actually going to fix the problem. I'm just, well, I'm going to act like I'm doing something and I'm going to do it half-heartedly. Look, that's stealing. They're paying you to do a job and you are intentionally doing it ineffectively. You're taking the money for the work, for the job, and you're not doing it. That is stealing. And you say, man, here, you're getting really straight. But let's ask if it were the other way around. If you paid somebody to come into your home and fix something, or you paid a, a mechanic to work on your car and, and, and take care of something, how would you feel if they did an ineffective job? If they, if they just threw the part on there and they didn't do it correctly, you'd go back to them and say, look, I paid you. You're, you're stealing from me. You need to make this right. Oftentimes we can see it when we just reverse it and turn it around a little bit. There's also the incidence of, of workplace theft, taking parts or other things from, from your workplace. Workplace theft is a major problem in, in our country. And look, I've been, I've worked in factories and I've been in places where there's a lot of waste. There's things that go unused. There are things that get thrown away. And you think, why are you throwing all this away? Right. But if it's theirs, if it belongs to them, it's their property. It's still theft to take it from them. This is true whether you're taking a pen or something more expensive, some kind of mechanical part or food if you work in, in a restaurant. You know, the temptation is to believe because this 
factory is so big and because they're wasting it or not using it or because no one will ever miss it, well, well, then it must be okay, but that's simply not true. Then there are instances of fraudulent claims. You know, when we exaggerate an injury so that we can be compensated for it, that's theft. We claim we drove more miles than we actually drove or we worked more hours than we actually worked so that we can get reimbursed for it. That's theft. Driving the company car at unapproved times. Making personal purchases with company money or the credit card. All of those are are instances of theft. Then there's digital theft. Piracy when it comes to movies and music and on the internet. Just because it's digital doesn't make it any less wrong. In God's eyes, it's no different if you went into a store and picked up a DVD and walked out of it than if you stole a movie online. Then there's taking credit for something you didn't do. Students, you need to be careful about this, that you don't steal the work of other people. Cheating on tests is theft. Plagiarizing a paper is theft. Putting somebody else's thoughts on the paper and saying, this is my work. That's a form of theft. There's trying to get something for less or something for nothing in dishonest ways. We all have that impulse to want to get something cheaper or get something free. And there's nothing wrong with that if, as long as we're using coupons and doing it in an honest way. But, but when we begin to do that in dishonest ways, that is theft. When we go to the, the counter and say, I think that's supposed to be cheaper when it's really not cheaper or when something rings up cheaper and we know it's not supposed to ring up for that, it's supposed to ring up for more. You know, all the times I've been in Walmart, I've heard a lot of people complain that's supposed to be cheaper I don't think I've ever heard anybody say you know that was actually ten dollars more expensive and some your system's wrong and I need to pay you that ten dollars more but but when we do that that is theft any kind of sales uh, I don't know if that we have anybody in sales but any kind of sales that is built on dishonest information is a form of stealing even if you're just selling something personally you need to be honest about it you need to be truthful about the product you're selling. So, so don't say this product will do this when it doesn't really do that effectively. Or, or don't hide costs. You know, there are those hidden costs that people don't tell you about and you realize later that that really is a dishonest means of gain. And it's theft. I think it falls in this category, receiving the benefits of what others have stolen. So, of course, I wouldn't steal it, but I might buy something that probably is stolen because I can get it for really cheap. Those of you who perhaps own your own business and do work for others, we need to be sure that you're not guilty of breaking this commandment when you fail to provide the services for which you have paid. If there's anybody here that's in in charge of employees, being sure that you pay your employees all that is due to them. Business owners and all people who hire others should be sure that they don't try to cheat workers out of their wages. The book of James condemns that. Clearly. Beyond that, these instances of it, I think the spirit of this command is broken by things like greed. You know, Jesus taught in the New Testament uh, that, that the law was something internal, that we could actually break God's law, not by our overt actions, but just by our heart. So he warned, you know, it's not just wrong to commit adultery. It's just as wrong when in my heart I, I lust after someone who's not my spouse. 
it is murder isn't the only thing that's wrong, but it's also wrong when I hate someone in my heart. And we could take that, although Jesus didn't apply it directly to this, I think we could do that. It's not only wrong when we steal, but when we have greed in our heart and covetous desires within us, we're breaking the spirit of this command. And so all of these instances are things that we are to put off. Let me say something really quickly, one more thing, just in terms of the political and economic ramifications of this. Uh, You know, I think a lot of times you see greed on both sides uh, of of the political spectrum when it comes to, to possessions. And we need to be sure as Americans who love capitalism, right, uh, that we're Christians first and, and we shouldn't participate in any kind of system that oppresses the poor so that the wealthy can get even richer. Uh, I think that is another instance of breaking this command. On the other end of the spectrum, you have things like communism, which is nothing but, but like forced theft, right, by the, by the poor, uh, taking what belongs to other people in, in really a sham, which uh, is saying that it's for the poor and it's going to redistribute this wealth, but it never seems to quite do that. We need to just be careful in the ways that we engage in the political realm that we don't become so envious of a class of people. Listen, it's not wrong to be rich, okay? So, so we shouldn't attack the rich and try to unfairly and unjustly take from the rich so that we can give to ourselves or give to others. That would be, I think, a breaking of this command as well. And I think that happens on both ends of that spectrum. So what are we to do? That's that's kind of the negative. I think there's some ways that we could probably see, yeah, that we're not living up to that command, ways that we are breaking that command. But But the gospel doesn't end there. Gospel transformation doesn't end with just don't do those bad things anymore. It transforms us. The gospel does more than just make us good moral people. It transforms us from within. It doesn't just correct bad behavior. It creates righteous behavior in its place. The gospel doesn't just restrain our sin nature. It kills it and gives way to a new nature. It's interesting then as Paul deals with this in verse 28. He doesn't end there, but he goes on and he gives us really two commands or one command that then leads to another. In verse 28, let's read it once more. Let the thief no longer steal. That's what we've been looking at so far. And then there's this contrast, but rather this is what you are to do. He says, let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. And so there are sort of two commands, two actions that go into place. Don't steal anymore. Don't be those who are seeking to profit from others or seeking to have dishonest gain or who are coveting the possessions of others or who are greedy. Instead of that, this is what you are to do. You're to work hard so that you will have plenty to give to to others. It's a total transformation. And both of these commands kind of get to the heart of the the sin of stealing. First of all, let's think about this. The thief is seeking to get something without working for it, right? That's what's going on there. I want, I have this desire, but I don't want to have to work to get it. So I want to take that from someone else. And so Paul says, no, don't steal any longer. This is what you are to do. You are to labor with your own hands. And then the second heart issue that's going on there is that the person who is stealing or the thief is someone who's greedy. 
I want to take what you have because I've got this desire that I want it. It's covetousness. It's greed. I want more. And so I'm going to take it from you so that I can have it. So here's the second aspect of that transformation. Not only are you to labor so that you can have what you've worked for and not what somebody else has worked for, but you are to labor and then you're to give and share with those who are in need. I mean, that's a that's a complete turnaround. It's not just don't steal anymore. It's not just work and keep it for yourself. It's work so that you can share with others. It's a total transformation. Now let's dig a little bit deeper into these commands. First, he says to labor with your own hands, to labor. This word labor is a word that has the idea of working till you're tired, to work yourself even to the point of exhaustion. Christian, listen to me this morning. If your job calls for it, you ought to be tired when you come home from work. You ought to be put in enough work that you have you have gotten to the point of being tired. If if your job calls for it, if it's that kind of work, right? You shouldn't avoid work so much that you leave and you're just like, oh, everything's good. You are to work hard. The, the Christian work ethic ought to be strong. You as believers in Jesus Christ ought to be the hardest workers in, in your uh, company or in your place of employment. There's no place for laziness in the Christian life. There's no place for it. And this is the call here. Let him labor. Paul says in 2 Thessalonians 3.10, for even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. And you say, well, you know, my company, the, the, the management is so ridiculous. They don't know what they're doing. They don't know up from down. So I just, I, I'm not even working hard because they're just so stupid, right? Or they're so greedy. They're making so much money. And, and I'm just not going to put in that kind of effort for people that won't even pay me a fair wage and all of this kind of stuff. Well, if that's the case, if you really have those big disagreements, just be a man, be honest enough to admit it and quit and go find another job. Right. Don't continue to keep up this false pretense and and taking money for work that you're not doing. But secondly, if you're a believer here this morning, if you are a Christian, you need to be reminded that you are not working for that company. You are working for the Lord. Paul says in in Colossians 3.23, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. You're not working for that supervisor who's ridiculous. You're not working for this greedy company that's making millions of dollars. You, if you are a believer, your labor is for Jesus Christ and you need to work accordingly. Work heartily as for the Lord, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. So work hard. But notice not only does he say labor, but he says labor Doing honest work. Read that again. Let the thief no longer steal, but let him labor doing honest work with his own hands. You are to be doing honest work. You shouldn't be engaged in any kind of work that is deceptive. Uh, You know, a lot of people put in a lot of effort, but they do it with scams and schemes trying to get money. I just think to myself, these people who call you and do all of this work, all of this ingenuity, all of this forethought, all of this effort to try to scam people, and you think, you know, if they would just take that effort and get an actual job, they'd be all right. They'd make plenty of money. There's clearly some some ingenuity and hard work that's going into that. But Christian, we are to be engaged in good, honest work, doing what is good. 
And then he says, with his own hands, with his own hands. I think this is the idea. I think this is what he's saying. The, the point is this. He, the point is that the person who is stealing or the pe- person who's trying to get away with as much as he can is trying to profit off of the labor of someone else's hands. The person who steals is one who benefits from the labors of others. They reap the labors of someone else's hands. Instead of seeking the easy way out, though, dishonestly profiting from the hard work of others, we are to be sustained by our own efforts. You are to provide for yourself. Now, we know there there are instances, there are uh, clearly some strong exceptions when a person is not able to provide for themselves. But again, let's not run to all the exceptions. Let's just look at the the main import of that command there is if you are able, you ought to be a person who's working and providing for yourself. Labor with your own hands. Let me say this. Don't assume this morning that just because you have a job and you're punching a clock for 40 or 50 hours, then you receive a paycheck that you're being obedient to this command. You can have a job and yet benefit from the labors of others. We've all worked around people who they're there, they're on the crew, their name's on the payroll, they're punching the clock, but they're not laboring with their own hands. They're kind of receiving the benefits that everybody everybody else is doing the job and they're just kind of loafing around and getting a paycheck. We are to labor with our own hands. So this is the first command. Don't seek to let, to benefit from others. Don't live off of others and seek to take from them. Instead, do your own work. Provide for yourself. But not only that, we are to put on the new self. And the second aspect of that is generosity. Now, this is where the transformation really comes. This is where you really begin to see the, the complete 180 from the person who would be seeking to, to take from others. Now, the person is someone who is giving of what they have. Listen, this is the area I think where we probably need to continue to grow. I doubt very seriously uh, that that there are many people in here that are actively stealing on a regular basis. Maybe there were a few ways you're like, yeah, you know, I I haven't been putting in honest work as much as I ought to, been loafing a little. Maybe you were slightly convicted, but but I doubt very seriously that many of you here are, are struggling in a major way with with stealing, as we've just been talking about. But I think this is where we still have room for growth in this area of generosity, because we're not just talking about being good moral people by the world's standards, right? That's the world's standards. You just work hard. And you earn your money and you keep it and you enjoy the fruits of your labor. Up to that point, the world's good with that. That makes sense to them. That, that computes. But now when, when Paul says this, now we're talking about gospel transformation. Now we are talking about someone who God has radically changed their heart because not only are they not stealing, not only are they not working and just keeping it for themselves, but they've become those who are generously sharing with any who are in need. Listen, when we put on Christ, you will not be content with merely not stealing, but will become those who diligently labor so that you may give generously to others. Look at verse 28 one more time. Look at verse 28. He says, doing honest work with your own hands. And then you see this little so that. Now he's telling us the purpose. Why is it that you are to labor? Why are you to work yourself to the point of exhaustion? What does he say here? The purpose is so that by working, 
you will have plenty to give to those or share with those who are in need. Now, obviously, the Apostle Paul understands that we are to provide for ourselves. He says in in another place, if anyone doesn't provide for his own family, he's worse than an unbeliever. He's denied the faith. So obviously, we have to take care of ourselves. We have to provide for ourselves and for our, our family, those who are dependent upon us. But beyond that, there's another purpose with what God has given you. There's another thing that you are to do and expected to do as a believer in Jesus Christ with what the Lord has provided through your labor. And that is this, you are to share with those who are in need. As I said, I doubt there there are many here who are seeking to profit from the labors of others or seeking to, to steal. And yet I don't think the total transformation that the gospel brings about is has has had its mindset. Many of you here are hard workers. It's in your DNA. You're going to be the person that the boss goes to because he knows the job will, will, will be done if he gives it to you. Many of you would be, be commended for your hard work, but that's where it ends because for most of us or for many of us, there's a mindset that has been engraved or, or ingrained in, in our minds that is this, I've worked hard. I'm not lazy like other people. I don't sit around in the break room like other people. I don't need charity. I'm not looking for handouts. I work hard and I want to enjoy the fruits of my labor. What's mine is mine. I'm not giving it away. I'm not handing it out to everybody. Oh, sure, I might I might sprinkle a few dollars here and there if somebody's really in need. It makes me feel good about myself, but I'm not giving away what I work for. I work hard. I labored with my own hands like the Bible says, and I'm going to keep it and I'm going to enjoy it. But the gospel transforms us beyond that. That's that's not gospel transformation. People in the world do that all the time. They work hard and they enjoy the fruits of their labor. That that's not that doesn't need any explanation. People that, that, that's totally understandable by the world. But you know, a, someone who's truly a Christian is somebody whose life cannot be explained by the world. You know, I look at that person, they work hard. They do overtime and then they just give it away. They help everybody that's in need. They give 10% to the church. And on top of that, they look for people who are in trouble. They look for people who are in great need and they just give it away. And you know what? They live a modest life. They, they got a house that could be a little bit better. They don't really dress nice, uh, that nice. They, they don't always wear new clothes. They don't always have new vehicles. They don't always have the latest cell phones and the, the best gadgets that are out. You can tell they've restricted their spending, but man, they give. They give to people who are in need. That is something that the world cannot so easily explain. And that's what we're called to do. That's what a gospel transformation looks like. You know what sin says? Sin says that what's yours is mine. That's the thief. What's yours is mine. Morality says what's mine is mine. Gospel transformation says what's mine is yours. That's the mindset that we ought to have. Radical generosity. This kind of radical generosity is a sign that you have truly come to know and follow Jesus Christ. You just think about two examples in in the New Testament, in the Gospels. Two people that came to Jesus. The first was the rich man. He said, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? Jesus talks to him. Finally, Jesus says to, to the man, he says, okay, go sell all that you have, give it to the poor, and then come and follow me. You'll have a great reward in heaven, 
and you have eternal life, and you come and follow me. And the Bible says that that man went away saddened because he was extremely wealthy. He had a lot of money, and he wasn't willing to become radically generous. You could tell that person was not ready to follow Jesus Christ. Then I think of another example, Zacchaeus. He was a man who had, who had profited. He was a thief, just like our passage talks about. He had used dishonest means to get wealthy. He met Jesus, and, and Zacchaeus was truly changed by Jesus. And you know how we know he was truly changed? Because he says, look, half of my wealth, half of my wealth I'm going to give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anybody through dishonest practices, I'm going to restore it fourfold. You see, that's what it looks like to come to Christ. That's what it looks like when a person is changed by the gospel. And that's what we ought to be growing in. It's not enough that we work hard and keep what we've got. That's that's a start, okay? You're not stealing. You're working hard and providing for yourself. But the gospel ought to transform you into radically generous givers. That's what it did for Zacchaeus. Those who have come to Christ and those who are growing in Christ are those who are marked by radical generosity. Until you become a generous, a sacrificial giver, I don't believe that transformation uh, is, is completed. As you continue to hold on to your possessions as if they really are yours, you're exhibiting the kind of greed that is condemned in this passage. Let me give you a few uh, specific application points. What are some ways that you could grow in, in your giving? Or what are some ways that we could uh, recognize there? One is just helping the poor in our community. Helping the poor in our community. And there are various ways that you could do that, right? There, there are different uh, entities that, that can help do that, and you can help fund those. But you could find people on your own and seek to invest in them personally. It's a lot of people like to do that. I like to do that. That's a good way to get to know someone, maybe be an evangelistic tool. I just think of one thing that stands out in my, my uh, mind is we, we've helped and, and given offerings to the help office. They do a lot of great work in helping those who are poor, helping those whose lights get turned off and ha- have bills that they're not able to pay in, in the moment. And one of the things that we're seeing in, in our own community is that funding has been cut for agencies like that. And when you trace it all back, what it really gets back to is people are not as willing to give as they used to be, right? They, they, they could give personally or they could opt to have it taken out of their check and give to entities like that, but they simply choose not to anymore. And so funding for agencies like the help office, and, and again, I'm not just plugging one, there, there are many different avenues that you could pursue to help the poor, but, but funding for agencies like that is being cut and it's because of a lack of generosity. I think if you trace that back, right, even further, you recognize what is happening is the secularization of our culture. As fewer and fewer people are influenced by the gospel, fewer and fewer people are givers. The gospel makes us radically generous. We could do, secondly, uh, as I've been pointing out each week when we get up here, we're doing the Lottie Moon Christmas offering, and you know, I, I would just encourage you to find out more about the International Mission Board. Uh, I think it's it's the greatest mission-sending agency in the world. They send faithful, gospel-preaching missionaries all over the world, not only preach the gospel, but who help those in need, medical issues and, and, and various things that they do. 
it's a great way for us to support the gospel. And you know that each year, many, many people are turned away from the International Mission Board. Many people who say, I'm willing to leave my family. I'm willing to move to the other side of the world. I'm willing to sacrifice. I'm willing to perhaps even be persecuted for the sake of the gospel, to take the gospel around the world. And the IMB has to tell them, you know, we would love to fund you. We would love to send you. We would love for the gospel to go to this unreached people group. But we simply have financial limitations that keep us from doing that. That's unimaginable that that, that is the case. But it is. I think we as a church could give more to missions if God's people were more radically generous as this passage calls for. There's other things that we could do as as a church. You know, in a lot of ways, since I've been here, we just kind of tread water as a church. You know, we've got enough. We're getting by. We we can pay the bills. And some people look at that and they say, look, we're doing what we got to do. We've got a little bit of money set aside in the bank. We don't need more money than what we've got. But do you understand, if we had more financial resources, there's more that we could do in terms of reaching out with with the gospel. There's Again, we could support more in missions. We could do more in our own community and in, in neighboring communities to reach them for the gospel. I've got a, a burden as you just think about Tell City, which is just a neighboring community close to us, double our population with not nearly as many churches, very few churches there, and even fewer of them that are really faithfully preaching the gospel. There's a mission field, 10 minutes, and you all go to Walmart over there all the time. You go out to lunch there, but we're failing to take the gospel there. And that is a that is a sad statement about where we are as a church. We could do more if if the funding was there. As I was talking to my wife just this week and you know, I, I was sharing with her. We've been talking and praying about perhaps being able to reach that community. And she said, you know, I just don't think we can do it. I mean, we're just getting by right now with the way things are. And the truth of the matter is she's, she's right. So this is some of the areas. And of course, there are many other ways that you can give. Many other ministries. There are many other people in need. I'm just showing you a few examples. If you are transformed by the gospel, you ought to be growing in that kind of generosity. Let me say one more thing as we kind of come to a conclusion. I just want us to think about Christ for one minute. Really, he is the fulfillment of this passage. We think about those who labor diligently and then give the results of that labor, the, the, the reward of that labor to others. I think, I think we think of Christ. I think we have to. He is the one who worked diligently and then gave everything. Christ labored diligently and then gave completely of himself that others might prosper. You look at John chapter 5 and verse 17 or 9, 4. Jesus says, but my father is working until now and I am working. And then John 9, 4, he says, we must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no man can work. Jesus came and labored diligently. He had a job to do. And guess what? He didn't do this job just so he could reap the benefits and the rewards of his work. He did it so that he could give to you. And that is what Vance read earlier in 2 Corinthians 8, 9. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, for your sake he became poor so that you by his poverty might become rich. Jesus fulfills this command. And guess what? 
When we talk about putting off the old self and putting on the new self, what is the new self that we're putting on? Jesus Christ. We're growing in the image of Christ. And if Christ is the one who labored diligently and then gave generously to others, if Christ is living within us, as Paul says, that, that I am crucified with Christ, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. If Christ is living within you, then that impulse to labor diligently so that you can give to others is going to be the heartbeat of your life. And as you grow in that transformation process, as, as Christ begins to take more and more control of your life, as you begin to manifest him more and more, one of the clearest ways that you'll see that is that you will become more and more generous in your giving. For those of us who are in Christ, we are new creations. It is not no longer we who live, but Christ who lives in us. As Christ is living in you, then you will not be a thief. You will, as you grow in your new identity, be a diligent worker and a generous giver. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning. We are thankful for your Son, Jesus Christ, who labored diligently and then gave all that he had that we might become rich. Help us, I pray, to be like that. Help us to follow the example of Christ. Help us to become radically generous, that your kingdom might grow and that those in need might be blessed. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.